glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, if you'd stand with us, please. Genesis chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 5. Last week we were in Genesis 4. I'll just say this, read Genesis 5. There's a phrase you'll find. It's a very encouraging text of Scripture. It says numerous times, and he died. Over and over and over in Genesis 5. A reminder that when sin came into the world, sin brings death. If we want to know where all the death and sorrow and anguish in the world comes from, it comes from sin. Uh, By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. That's what Genesis 5 reminds us. Genesis 6 begins giving us a historical account of what man did after sin entered. We begin in verse 5 here. You could read on your own time the first four verses, but... Verse 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou, and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come into thee, unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Thank you. you may be seated. And again, we'll be looking at some portions in chapter 7 and chapter 8 as we go through the message to demonstrate the truth this morning, I want to emphasize again, we have a, a historical account of what took place in the early history of man. There are people today that have gotten so smart that they are outsmarting the Bible and saying, well, uh, the things written therein couldn't be true. Uh, the moment I hear somebody say that, uh, I, my red flags go up uh, because someone is a self-decreed uh, in- intellectual and God calls us to faith. Uh, may I say this, even the intellectuals who go back and believe that science and the Bible are in conflict with each other uh, do have faith. They just have faith in their own reasoning over faith in the Word of God. 
be honest with you, nobody was there five or 6,000 years ago. None of us were. Here's the, the irony. The man who penned these words down wasn't there either. Moses came along a lot later. He wasn't there to witness the flood. He came along after Abraham and after the children of Israel came out of Egypt. So hundreds of years later, this history is written and some would say, how did Moses know? There's only one way. God told him. And that's it. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. Here's what I'm willing to say. I am exercising faith in a God I cannot see with my physical eyes. I cannot hear with my physical ears or touch with my physical hands. But the evidence of him is all over our creation, all over the DNA that's in me, it's in you. The evidence of him is in my conscience and in the pages of Scripture. The evidence for the God of the Bible is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And so then, I'm telling you, I'm operating in faith. I'm believing the words of him. Though I cannot see him, I'm believing his words. Every Christian operates in that same faith. Every true believer operates in the same faith. We have to take God his word. We weren't there. Our eyes couldn't see it. The evolutionist would say that he's operating on science. He's a liar because he wasn't there either. And he has to believe his own intellect or the intellect of someone else. You say, Pastor, are you you against science? I'm 100% for science. I'm 100% against falsely called science. When we say it's science, but it is not following the scientific method, that's a lie. How many of you remember the scientific method from middle school? It's still a right method. Amen? So when we depart from the scientific method, and you say, why are we bringing this up? Because we're in Genesis, and I remember years ago having a debate with a friend of mine, a co-worker, very intelligent man, brilliant man. He had, uh, at that time, I believe he had three bachelor's degrees and maybe a master's. I don't remember if he'd gotten his master's or not. But he had three different degrees, and I respect that. He taught me a lot of things about natural things. He was a horticulturalist, and he was teaching me and training me some things. And we were friends enough we could converse over these things and disagree and not hate one another. Amen. I'm glad for that. But the fact of the matter is, he said, there's no way Noah got all those animals on that ark. He said, do you have any idea how many species and subspecies? And it's the same old arguments. Well, of course, I, I understand that. I love the fact that God's word says two of every type, two of every kind. And there's a lot of things you can do to study. All I'm trying to say this morning is don't, don't let the naysayers and their unbelief become your own. God's word stands on its own merit, amen? And so this morning, as we look here, I began saying we have a historical account. This is not figurative speech. This is what happened. God communicated with Noah that he was going to destroy the earth of the flood, and he did so because Noah walked with him by faith, and God had fellowship with him and said, here's what I'm going to do, and here's how you're going to prepare for it. What we have for us this morning, written for our admonition, is a beautiful picture of the salvation you and I have if you're a believer in Christ this morning, the beautiful picture of our salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter alludes to the flood this way in 1 Peter chapter 3 when he talks about Noah being saved by water. God sent a flood and dealt with the iniquity on earth but preserved Noah in the midst of that flood. And it's a picture of our salvation. So we're very wise to go back and use the Bible the way that God uses the Bible, the way the apostles use the Bible, the way Christ used the Bible to see this tremendous picture of salvation this morning. There's a twofold goal, if you would, here this morning. If you're here and you have received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the goal is to strengthen you in your faith to see that the same salvation you read about in the New Testament was God's plan of salvation in the Old Testament. 
Same plan, revealed in a different way. And you and I can look back and by the salvation we've received and the Holy Spirit of God we have, have our faith strengthened and informed more fully by the pictures and types we see of it in the Old Testament. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, it is my desire that, by the way, I'll back up just a second. I don't believe you can, you and I can ever make the gospel understandable on a natural standpoint or from a natural way. So my goal is not to try to make the gospel something other than it is. It's the Word of God, but my desire would be that this message might lift off the pages of Scripture a clear picture of what God wants to do for you today. There's a direct analogy between what was taking place in Genesis 6 and what's taking place right now. What we have a tendency to do is look at the Bible from the standpoint of history or future and fail to realize what he tells us from history and what he tells us about the future is to inform us about today. What God has said he is saying and what God said to Noah about a pending day of judgment, he's saying today. We know that God's wrath is in a cup ready to be poured out upon his timing on this wicked earth when God says it's only his long-suffering that withholds his judgment to give men an opportunity to repent, to be saved. That's according to Second Peter 3, verse 9. And so here's what we would understand. The warning that Noah received, we're receiving today. So my heart's desire would be if you're a Christian today, you're a believer, you've been born again, your faith might be strengthened. You might have stronger assurance in what God has done for you and how he wants you to live because of what he's done for you. And if you're not a believer this morning, my heart's desire would be to persuade you to be one. That, that, that this is not fairy tale, it's not fiction, it is the Word of God. And what He had pinned down 3,000 years ago is applicable today because He's the God who gave it and He's still living. And it's my prayer that He might use the preaching today to convince a person of their need to be born again, of their need to be forgiven for their sins and to put their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So Genesis chapter 6 here, where we've just read, let's, let's highlight a few things. I want to see three things this morning about the ark that are typical or a picture of our salvation. And so then, um, how the ark typifies that, that uh, what we have, if you would, as Noah was, where was he positionally once we get to Genesis chapter 7? He's in the ark, and the ark is a picture of Christ who is our salvation And so then three things I said about the ark. Number one, it is a picture, as I've been saying, of the salvation. I'll use that word, the salvation we have in Christ. Why God gave Noah the blueprints for an ark is because God knew what he was going to do on this earth. Let me put it to you this way. If you roll forward into Genesis 19, you find the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Inside that city is a man who's a righteous man. He's a just man. His name is Lot. And Abraham is up on a hill praying for Lot that God would deliver him. And God made a way to get Lot out of the city before wrath fell. Even so here, God made a way, though his wrath would be poured out on earth, to spare Noah and his family who had taken God at his word, were trusting God for salvation, to give them that. And the means of God's deliverance of them physically, their deliverance physically from a flood of waters was through a boat called an ark of gopher wood. And that we see a number of things about the ark that typify the salvation or the deliverance from the wrath of God that we have in Jesus Christ. Number one, you can see that here the plan for deliverance was not Noah's, it was God's. All throughout the Bible, man has not... False religion is man planning how to save himself from what he knows he deserves. That's false religion. Man coming up with schemes how to make himself good enough to be acceptable to God. 
you have to, I said this previously, you have to do one of two things. You either have to make yourself acceptable enough for God or make God acceptable enough for us. False religion tries to do both. And I think what's happened for years is false religion has been working saying, well, if you join this religion and you jump through these hoops and you go through these methods and you practice these rituals, that shows you're good enough for God. And I think the world's a little bit tired of it and saying, no, let's just make a God that that fits us. If we cannot elevate ourselves to God, let's devalue him down to us. May I say this, false religion says ye shall be as gods. That's not what the serpent told Eve in the garden. You can, if through the knowledge I will give you, you can elevate yourself to deity, and that's a lie. But the Bible also says, and here's what God did. God came to man in the person of Christ. God became man. God descended to man. But that was not man's plan. That was God's plan. The ark that, that saved Noah physically from the flood is God's plan built on God's blueprint. Salvation, Jonah was told, salvation is of the Lord. If you were to read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was planned for our salvation before the foundations of the world. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says essentially the same thing, that God planned for salvation of mankind before the foundations of the world. So it's not like Noah was out here and putting his finger in the air saying, it feels like it's going to rain to me. i got to do something to save myself. No, Noah already had heard about Creator God, his Creator God, and had trust in his Creator God and had found grace in the eyes of the Lord by faith. And God says, here's how I'm going to save you physically. And even so, our salvation is not our plan. We did not come up with... This morning, when I'm preaching to you about Jesus Christ being the only way of salvation, that salvation is by grace, God giving us what we do not deserve, not works, God giving us what we've earned. And by the way, there's only two options. We either earn a a place in heaven in eternity with God, or it's given to us freely. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear it's not earned. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I don't know, I assume nobody in this room would ever be tempted to boast. I say that tongue-in-cheek. It is our nature to boast. We like to boast about all kinds of things. How many of us ever really sat back and thought that none of us is the product of ourselves? What do we have that we've not received, the Bible says? You received a body from your parents... (laughs) You received the DNA, physically speaking, uh, from them. You received your education from somebody else. If you have a good brain inside of you, you received that from God. Now, we get to choose how we use those things, but the fact of the matter is, is we really have nothing to boast of in the first place. The breath in my lungs is the gift of God. If he decides to cut it off, I'm done. And this morning, yet we are prone to boast, and God says, no, salvation, your deliverance, is my plan. You say, what's the emphasis of that? You and I must, if we are going to have salvation from the pending judgment of God that's coming our way, either after our death or when the Lord Jesus returns and sets up His kingdom on this earth, either way, there's a day of judgment coming. And if we're going to be prepared for that, we must cooperate with His plan. We're not able to develop our own plan and say, how does this one work? God has One plan for the salvation of man. He had one plan for how to save Noah and his family from a flood, which was God's judgment, and that was build an ark. What if Noah retorted, but boy, building an ark, I don't know, I've never done that. 
I'm not sure about building a big boat and so on and so forth. God had the plan. Even so, God's plan for saving man from wrath and judgment, he already has planned, and he communicates that to us through his word, and that plan is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this about the ark as well, though. Not only was it planned by God, God communicated to Noah uh, this plan, and might, might I add, we are given God's plan of salvation the same way through his word. God, God told Noah, this is what I want you to do. And so then, even so, we are seeing, we see God's plan of salvation through what he communicates in his word, the Bible. But number two, how many doors was there on this boat? You've heard this, many of you have heard this preached before. How many doors did God put into the ark? Only one. There's only one door into God's plan of salvation. Only one. And that's Jesus Christ. Now here's why I want us to go to the New Testament. Go to John chapter 10 with me, if you would. And this is what the world has such a hard time with. What will happen is when we say there's only one way to be righteous, there's only one way to heaven, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Some pluralist Christ foul says, well, what about all the other religions in the world? Aren't you pretty arrogant to think you're the only one that got it right? May I say this? I don't think I got it right. I think God got it right. Amen? It wasn't me who planned salvation that way. God did. It it wasn't me who came up with that. Jesus is the very one who said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. He's the only door into eternal life. John chapter 10, in verse 9, Jesus says, I am a door. Did I make a mistake there? He's not a door. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John fourteen six. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name, under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Peter preached Acts chapter 4, verse 12, in the face of men who believed that they were made righteous through their religious execution of their duties. And he preached boldly. It's Acts chapter 3 that the Pharisees and the religious rulers saw the boldness of Peter and John and said, these men have surely been with Jesus. They were unashamed to preach that the one who died on the cross and raised from the dead is the exclusive way into heaven, into eternal life. Outside of him, there's no other name under heaven, not the name of Buddha, not the name of Muhammad, not the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist asked, Art thou the one? He said, I am not. One's coming after me, mightier than I, shoe, whose shoe latchet, I'm not worthy, stoop down and unloose. He's the one. But not in the name of John the Baptist, not in the name of the Pope, not in the name of Joseph Smith, not in the name of Ellen White, not in the name of any person other than Jesus Christ is salvation. God has one door into eternal life. That door is not a system. It's a person. It's not a system. It's a person. Jesus makes it very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You say, how do I get to heaven? Trust the Lord Jesus. He gets you there. It's not climbing a a hill on your knees. It's trusting a person and he'll deliver you. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And so the portal into the ark, God did not create multiple doors. Someone's tried to liken salvation or obtaining eternal life to going to the post office in town. where It's one destination, but there's a lot of ways to get there. That's the only problem is we're not going to the post office. We're going to God in heaven. There are not many paths. There's only one. How do you know that? God said it. Remember, the plan is God's. Noah might have said, well, if I make more arcs, more people, more doors, God, more people can get in. That's what some are trying to do today. Let's cut some more doors into eternal life, and then more can come in. And God says, in my ark, there's only one door. Isn't that pretty narrow? Isn't that pretty exclusive? Not if you come God's way. May I say this? If God could fit two of every kind of clean animal, of, of every animal into that ark through that door, I'm guessing he has no problem getting as many people as want to come in to come in. The one door, though narrow, if you're going to come, you're going to have to come into the ark God's way. He said put one door. And that's, that's very clear in the blueprint that he gave to Noah about this ark. He says in verse 14 of Genesis 6, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. We'll come to that back to that verse later. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be... 300 cubits, the breadth of it, 50 cubits, and the height of it, 30 cubits, a window. We'll come back to that in a little bit as well. Shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door. You might want to write right by that, John chapter 10, verse 9. Of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. And he says the ark is going to have one portal, one door. So in that, it's like our salvation. There's only one portal into God's plan of salvation and that is Jesus Christ and Him alone. Thirdly, the protection provided through the ark, that's why we say that it's a picture of our salvation, is that God, through the ark, provided a place of safety from the flood of waters He's going to pour on the earth. God told Noah, I'm going to judge the wickedness of the earth, but because you found grace, I'm not going to judge you. And the way I'm going to protect you is by not taking you out of the earth, but shielding you through an ark, and that ark is a picture here of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away; behold, all things are become new." God, in His grace, said, "No one will provide a way for you to be shielded from the wrath and judgment that everyone else is going to be taking part of." And so, the protection that's provided. Let me remind you of a few verses that I said what He said. 5,000 years ago, when he said 3,000 years ago, he's saying today, look with me if you would at Romans chapter 1. We saw in Sunday school this morning that God's character, under grace, God's character has not changed. What God has done is provided for us to be made acceptable in his sight and made to where we can approach. God's still holy. God is still sinless. God is still righteous. God is still just. Grace did not modify God's character. Grace enables man to be fitted to approach the holy God who's a consuming fire. God is still a consuming fire. That fire speaks of His holiness. Who can stand before God as the righteous judge and say, I'm as holy as you? The Bible answer is not one. There's none good. No, not one. Yet in Christ, in Christ, could Noah say, I'm better than all these other people? I don't deserve judgment. He could say that inside the ark because that's where God provided for him to be safe. What was required on Noah's part was to trust that this was God's way of delivering him from the wrath that was justly deserved on this earth. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Ephesians chapter 5, we have a number of verses here that deal with, again, what incurs the wrath of God on man, what has become acceptable and even laughable in our culture are the very things that stirs the wrath of God. What man laughs at, God finds abominable. What man promotes, God judges. And we find that here in Ephesians chapter 5, when the Bible says in verse 4, neither filthiness, let's just back up a little bit, verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Because of what things? Covetousness and fornication and uncleanness and whoremongering, all those things that we find so prevalent in our culture. God has not changed. His wrath is still stirred against these things that he calls disobedience. John chapter 3 verse 36 We'll go through these verses fairly quickly. John three thirty six. John the Baptist is here preaching. And he says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. I can imagine Noah preaching. The Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. He says, Oh, Noah, what you doing? He said, I'm building an ark. What's an ark? Uh, it's like a boat. It's going to save us from a flood. What's a flood? Well, lots of water is going to cover the earth. It's going to kill everybody. But not you. No, I'm going to be in this ark. And you think that's going to protect you. Yeah, well, we just choose to think nothing's coming. You're just a fear monger trying to scare everybody. What have we got to do to be saved from this flood? He says, you come into the ark with me and my family, and you'll be saved God's judgment. But if you don't come into the ark, you're under the wrath of God. We say the same thing today except it's not an ark that's a type. It's a real and living way of salvation. Everything that the ark pictured was the person of Jesus Christ. We say, judgment is coming, and the world says, ha, you guys have been saying that for a couple of millennia. Judgment coming. That's just to scare people. It's a control tactic. I'm going to tell you something. If it's a control tactic, it's not working. It hasn't made anybody more moral. It hasn't made the culture or society a better place. No, it's just the truth. There's a day of wrath and judgment. Second Peter chapter 3 talks about it, verse 10, that the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. Uh, myself and the, uh, there are so-called scientists today who are constantly warning of man burning himself up. The fellow I referred to earlier, I said, you and I agree on something, and he agreed with me. We both believe the world's going to end in flames. You think man's going to cause it, I think God is. And that's the difference. And God says very clearly, and I encourage you, read 2 Peter chapter 3, read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you read of the forewarning of right now, of wrath to come. Revelation chapter 6 speaks of the wrath of the Lamb of God, and an earthquake as though as the earth is never known and never seen will take place as a, as a response of the wrath of God to the evils of man. And we who preach righteousness say, come into the ark, his name is Jesus. John 3.36, But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Unless you come into that ark, the wrath of God is on you already. God had already decreed judgment was coming. I tell you what, there are many today that I'm weary of that 
you know why we get weary of the preaching of judgment? Because some point in time we've said, I've rejected the means of being delivered from it. To preach me a message that I can stay outside of the ark and still not be judged. To preach to me that I can reject Jesus, the Bible, uh, come up with some other Jesus that allows me to live in defiance and disobedience to God, but don't tell me I'm going to be judged. All I can say is this, the wrath of God is on the children of disobedience, so the only way to see that removed from you is to obey the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only one that can and will wash your sins away, make you clean enough for God. That's the only answer. And it was the only answer for then. It's the only answer today. But I find Noah and his family found protection in that ark from what? What were they being protected from? You say a flood. Yes, but the flood was the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. Look at Romans chapter 5, or you can listen along, whichever you prefer. Romans chapter 5. I love, you know this, I can't read this text without prefacing it with, I love this text of Scripture. I love all of these chapters in Romans, but here in chapter 5, verses uh, 6. Let's start in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from what? Wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And by the way, I find that in the ark. Remember what God told Noah. We won't take time to read again. But He told Noah, take to you all kinds of food into the ark. Now, after the flood, what happened to the rest of the food? It went down with the folks. He said, take with you all kinds of food. And at that time, man was not carnivorous. He was still a, a, just a plant eater. Take with you all kinds of food. So not only was salvation being saved from death, inside that ark was the provision of life. You know where they found all their groceries? In the ark. In Jesus Christ, when you've come to faith in Him, He does not only save you from the condemnation of hell... He gives you in Christ all that is that pertains to life and godliness. That's Second Peter chapter one. So not only is Jesus is a he's a twofold salvation. It's what Romans five talks about. We are saved from death by His death, but we are saved in life by His life. So in Christ Jesus, you not only have God's forgiveness for your sins, you have God's grace for living a righteous and a holy life. Inside that ark was everything that family needed to survive under the judgment of God. In a world that was condemned, in a world that was under the wrath of God, God through that ark provided everything Noah and his family needed. Everything. And I believe so many times, and I think it's probably become a something we've, we've emphasized in preaching the gospel, that we emphasize God saving you from His wrath, and that's wonderful. But He not only saves you from death, He gives you eternal life. In Christ Jesus, I love again, 2 Peter chapter 1, He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Noah's wife might have said, Well, honey, I'm glad we're not going to die in a flood, but if we're inside that boat, we'll die of starvation. He says, No, God took care of that. Inside the ark is not only a shelter from the wrath of God, it's the provision from the hand of God. And so it is in Jesus Christ today. You're not only delivered from the wrath through the forgiveness of your sins, you are delivered unto a life of godliness 
through the life and sufficiency of a living Savior. You and I love about preaching the gospel, and I can do it with courage and boldness. I know that if someone will believe God's word, they can expect to be ministered to by the living Son of God. Jesus Christ himself will tend to your soul if you'll trust him. Because he's alive. I'm not preaching some dead old system. I'm preaching someone who's ministered to me today. I'm not talking about some strange dream in the night. I'm talking about taking his word, making application to my life, directing my steps and giving me everything my soul craves and needs. How many of you know we live in a world that's confused? You know what? But I feed on his word and I've got light. How many of you know we live in a world that's filthy? I live in his word and I get bathed and cleaned. I mean, you know, we live in a world that's dark and shielding and shrouding which way to go. But you get in His Word and He'll give you light. He is the Good Shepherd. Inside that boat was everything they needed. We see that the ark was a picture of salvation in its plan. God planned it. In its portal, it only had one. In its protection, it saved them from the wrath that was on man. And in its provision, inside that ark was everything they needed, not only to survive, but to thrive. And so it is in Christ. We have all we need in Him, and I praise God for it. Number two, not only is the ark a picture of salvation in Christ, it's a picture of security in Christ. What if one of the boys said to Noah, Dad, I understand you're making this ark out of wood, but I'm looking at the wood, and it's kind of porous and grainy, and if it's going to flood like God says, don't you think all the water is going to come in? And Noah could say, no, because God said to pitch it within and without with pitch. Verse 14, make thee an ark of gopher wood rooms shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. It's very interesting. That word pitch is the same Hebrew word used for ransom. The price paid to cover sin. Same word. Word pitch. It's the word where we would get atonement, the idea of atonement. Uh, the, the point would be God's provision would fully secure them. They need not fear God's wrath creeping in on them. Inside that boat, they could rest secure because it was pitched within and without that they were sealed. Interesting, we'd use that word. We are sealed, stamped by the Holy Spirit of God, if you would, marked by God as His own upon faith in Jesus Christ. You can read that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that we are sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption. Meaning God has secured us through Jesus Christ. You're not only saved from the flood of waters, but there are those who hold a picture of salvation. That Yes, I'm in the boat, but if I don't do things right in the boat, the flood waters will still creep in. No, that God took care of that as well. Pitch it within and without with pitch. So that the flood waters upon that ark, I, I personally believe, I don't believe there were drips. I don't believe there were waterways running down the aisle, God provided in such a way where that family was entirely and completely waterproofed inside that boat. And in Christ, you are completely and entirely secure from the judgment of God. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. It was not the construct of Noah that made him safe inside the boat. It was the construct of that ark. It's not the the construct of my character today that makes me presentable to God. I'm inside the ark. It's the construct of Jesus' character. He was in all points like tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You say, are you not worthy of God's wrath? I was, but Christ is not. He already took the judgment for me. He shields me from it. 
He said on the cross, it is finished, and that's what he meant. And by faith, being in him, I'm safe and secure because of my position in him. And that, by way, by the way, say, how do you obtain that position? By faith. Jesus said, except you be converted, become as little children. You know what? What made Noah walk into that ark? I understand his hands built it at the command of God. But what made him walk into that ark? We'll read it in Genesis 7, verse 1 in just a moment. God said, come in. He didn't, by the way, I love this. He didn't say, go in. He said, come in. Read it with me. Genesis 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. You know what the best thing there was inside that ark? God. God was not only on his throne, he was in the ark. That's why it's such a picture of Christ. You know what God says to you, the Holy Spirit of God, because he is, he and Jesus Christ are one. He says, come in, come to Christ. Is that not what he said in Revelation 22? He says, uh, if any man thirst, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will, let him come. The Spirit and the bride say what? Come. And let him that heareth say, come, not go, come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus said, and John chapter 7, after preaching, he lifted his voice, he cried, said, If any man thirst, let him come to me. God is in Christ inviting you, come to my son and I will secure you in him. The pitch around that ark and in that ark is a picture of the security of the child of God in Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Timothy 1.12. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You want a picture of what it means to be sealed in Jesus Christ, secured in him? John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let me just say this before we move on. Many people have this idea about what it means to be righteous and saved. If I hold on to Jesus with all of my might, hopefully he'll get me to heaven. But boy, you just got to hold on to him. And don't misunderstand me. You cannot have a feigned faith. God will not honor faith that is not sincere. If you're pretending to trust him when you don't believe God yet, that ain't going to work. God does not honor deceit. But may I say this this morning, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, that if thou shalt confess to thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, you might get saved. Is that what it says? Thou shalt be saved. Why? Because he's saying, come into the ark. When you're in the ark, you're saved. I don't think Noah had to get up every night and say, boy, I hope the door don't fall off the ark today. Honey, hang on to the ark. We don't want to let her go down. Who is hanging on to who? They hanging on the ark or the ark hanging on to them? Yeah. You don't hang on to Jesus for salvation. You trust him to hang on to you. Amen? Benson, come here a second, would you? Just just grab my coattail. Now, you hang on best you can, okay? Don't let go. Don't let go, okay? Whoa, hey, you aren't supposed to let go. You go where I go. Now, hang on. You go where I go. If you hang on to me, we'll make it to the door. Man, he can't hang on. Would you like to go to the door with me? How about this? Will you let me hang on to you? Okay. Now, look here. 
Isn't that hard? Isn't that hard? This is salvation right here. It's not, oh, I can't hang on to him. Oh, I can't hang on to him. You have any trouble hanging on to me? No, no trouble. Would you like to go back to your seat? Very good, let's go. You did great. So many people think you're hanging on to the coattails of Jesus trying to be like him. And if you can hang on tight enough, you'll get there. Friend, that's not in your Bible. <laughs> Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My salvation this morning is not dependent on my ability to keep Jesus in my hand. It's dependent on his ability to keep me in his hand. You know what that makes me do? Praise be to God. Because I already know I don't have the ability to hang on to him. What a small God if you can put him in your hand and hang on to him anyhow. No, no, it's it's not our job to hang on to him. Trust him. You know what Noah's job was to be safe from the flood? Go into the ark and let it do its job. God planned it. God provided for it in order to save you and provide for you. You just walk through the door and let God protect you through the ark that he provided. The security in Christ is seeing the ark. It was sealed. Genesis 7:16 says this, And they went in, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Who shut the door? God. God shut the door, meaning, and by the way, this is how many people see, and I wonder how many people said, I'm not restricting my life. Don't you ask me to go into that boat. All your boat has is walls and rules and boundaries, and I like running around out here in this world. And Noah says, but your world's about to pass away. You ain't getting me to go into that prison. When you go in there, what's God going to do? He's going to shut you in. Praise God for it. When you're in Christ, you know what he does? He shuts you in unto himself and the world out there. It's a sanctified position. That brings us to our next picture. The ark is not only a picture of salvation, it's not only a picture of the security in Christ we have, but it's a picture of the sanctification in Christ we have. What happens when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he makes you his own and you're born again, God puts you in a position where you are sealed in Christ in the day of redemption and it changes your relationship with the world outside. Does it not? At this point, Noah and his family are on the inside. The rest of the world is on the outside. And the only window they had looked up. Ah, we got a picture, do we not? God said put a window, one, singular, in the top of the ark. It's got to be up toward the top. We know from Genesis chapter 8, and some of this for time's sake, you're going to have to check me on this, but we know from Genesis chapter 8 that the window was high enough that Noah couldn't see the ground. He had to live by faith. He had to send out birds to find out if the water was gone because all Noah could see from the window was the heavens. You know what Christ does for you? He changes your vantage point. He changes your perspective from saying, what am I going to get out of this earth? What am I going to get out of this life? And he points your nose heavenward knowing you're not destined for just a better life here. You're destined for an eternity with God. He gets us to where he says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. The only window in the ark looked up, not out, not down. The being in the ark changed the vision of the people inside. 
Some may see being in the ark as restrictive. Yeah, restrictive, sparing you from the wrath coming on the rest of the world. How many you know that a locked door has two purposes? One purpose is to keep things out, and the other is to keep things in. You know why God shut that door? To keep what was going on on the outside from coming in. I don't lock my door at night to keep my children inside. It's to keep the dangers that are on the outside, outside. When God shut that door, it was to secure and protect the ones he loved inside. And when God places you in Christ, he shuts the door. Praise God for it. It's a sanctified position. And don't forget who was on the inside. God didn't say, go in, slam. He said, come in, and he shut the door. And it's the same in Christ. We have a sanctified position in the very, we have the presence of God. The Bible promises the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. The body of the believer is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He himself, God by the Holy Spirit of God, lives in... It's not some kind of weird mysticism. It's reality. The God of heaven through His Son Jesus Christ makes us His own dwelling place and separates us from a wicked world to live unto Him. And what we find inside this ark was Noah and his family, of course God inviting them in, and then the judgment fell. And all of God's promises seem to be true. Can you imagine the confidence that grew inside of those people in the God who put them in that ark as they lived inside the ark? As they lived inside that ark and they weren't starving, and above all, they weren't drowning. Don't you think it built their faith? The longer you live in Christ Jesus, the more convinced you are of the faithfulness of the God who gave him for us. Amen? It's a a fact. The more you live in Christ and the more you're in Him and He in you, the more you can see the faithfulness of God. Here's what Noah and his family were shut in that ark. They They were shut unto a life of holiness. You know what? They no longer have to worry about getting it all wrapped up in their violent neighbors next door. And I'm not saying that God isolates us from the world. That's not what I'm preaching to you. I'm saying what Paul said in Galatians 6.14 is that he would not glory saving the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world was crucified unto him and he unto the world. What he says is when I was placed in Christ, when I took God at his word and responded in faith to believe on Jesus Christ and did, what God did is he did something inside of me where no longer was I living for the love of this world. I died to it through Jesus Christ. How many of you think Noah said, Honey, I can't wait to get out to see what it's going to be like out there. The world they knew was done. You know what the ark did for Noah? In a figurative sense, he died to the world around him. Their house was gone. Their property was gone. You know what? They were just rejoicing to be in the ark. This morning, when you can get a hold of what Jesus Christ did for you, all of a sudden you'll just be rejoicing to be in him. And you'll be dead to the world and we'll be alive unto God through Jesus Christ. It's a picture of sanctification that when you're in the ark and you realize how faithful God has been to spare you from the wrath that was coming, the judgment that was coming, you can feast on the provision He's made with expectation of of a day in the future when the Lord will ultimately deliver us. But here's what I find. In there was the presence of God, the portal He gave, the window above, as I said before, gave them access to the heavens but not to the earth. It's all a picture of the position God had placed them in in Christ. I'm going to say this. Once you're saved... God does something for you by putting His Holy Spirit inside of you, realizing this is not it. I'm living for a day in eternity. I'm living for that day. Lay, lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth where raw moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in 
heaven. In Christ, we're given a heavenly, eternal perspective. Let's look at Genesis 8 very quickly, and we'll wrap up here shortly. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 6, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days, by the way, 40 is so often, so often you can find it in the Bible, it is a picture of judgment. Forty years the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Uh, numbers of times, 40 is representative here of judgment. So after 40 days of this reigning, the Bible says in 40 days of, uh, and it came to pass at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. I think it's interesting. We won't get too deep into typology, but you guys, you, you each know the kind of a bird a raven is. A raven is not typical of God in any way. A raven is a flesh eater. Noah's trying to get direction from a raven. It gave him none. It just went out and circled until he found a carcass to eat on. It gave him no direction. So you know what he sends out next? A dove. Now don't lose me here. Many a Christian trying to get direction from God through the flesh, you'll get nothing. The flesh is unprofitable. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. By the flesh, I mean just your natural reasoning. Well, I'll just reason things through. Now that I'm in Christ, fleshly reasoning won't work. Now in Christ, you know what he sends forth next? A dove. What kind of a bird lit on the Lord Jesus Christ at his baptism? A dove. A dove in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. Inside this ark, Noah is now shut in there, and the only way he's going to get direction from God is by looking to God. He can't see the earth. He can't, he can't see. So he's got to let a bird out, and he lets the wrong kind out first, a raven. He doesn't ever release a raven again. That's it. Next time it's a dove, and the dove flew around and came back, realizing there's no place for it yet. You know what? How did Noah know that the floods were not gone yet? He could see, or he had to believe the dove? Ah, this is a picture of the Christian life. You and I do not live by natural reasoning. We do not walk as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. We trust the leadership of the Spirit of God through the Word of God to show us what to do next. So then Noah says, okay, seven days. He sends the dove out again. It comes back, if I remember correctly, we could read it, with an olive leaf plucked off. And then I think that maybe is the first one. And the next one, the dove doesn't return. It says in verse uh, 8, Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from the earth, and he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. He sent the raven one time and said, that's not going to work. Ravens are flesh eaters. They are carnivorous. They are corruption pollution eaters. That thing's never coming back. I'll never get any direction that way. And so he learned to rely on the dove to tell him the truth about what's going on in the earth. Is this making any sense to anybody? Yeah, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Inside the ark, we have now been shut in in such a way, the only way we'll get direction is from the Holy Spirit of God, by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. Here's what I say this morning. We found a fingerprint of God on our Bibles. <laughs> You look at that ark, what a picture of the Christian salvation, security, and sanctified life. We are sanctified unto God to walk by faith until the day He calls us home with our attention fixed heavenward. One window, one door. You know what? The Lord would have us to be single-minded this morning, not sending forth ravens and doves, but listening to the Holy Spirit of God and minding what He says. Noah made his next decision 
based on the behavior of that dove, he took the covering off the ark and found the ground was dried up. And my point to us this morning, God's point to us is, if you're in the ark, if you're in that place, you're in a secure, sanctified position in Christ Jesus, we are called to live by faith and not by sight. One final point. There came a day when God decided the door of the ark is being shut, meaning there was a limited amount of time for man to make his decision about that ark. The same is true with Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. God is not eternally patient. He is patient, long-suffering, and I would say this, those around Noah had, hundred, had years and years to hear the message of the gospel, the message of salvation in that ark. But there came a day when God told Noah, in seven days the rain's going to start. You can find that in Genesis chapter 6, or Genesis chapter 7. So come into the ark. And they started filing in. What an opportune time for those who'd heard the preaching of righteousness to say, you know what? Now's the time. The Bible speaks, and I didn't write the passage down. I believe it's in Matthew's gospel, maybe chapter 25. That there'll come a day when the doors of the kingdom are going to be closed. And there'll be those saying, let me in. And the Lord's going to, from the inside, say, I know you not. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It'll be too late. See, it's scare tactics. It's just truth. May we this morning have godly fear. God said judgment's coming. God has provided a way to be spared from that, sanctified unto him, provided for by him, that we may live by faith until the day we go to heaven with him. And today, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What's the decision? The decision is this. Trust Jesus Christ or not. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Before you'll get to that, you have to believe you need to be saved. And you have to want to be saved. But if a person's there say, I believe I need to be, I'm a sinner, I deserve God's wrath, I want to be, then God has provided everything you need in Jesus Christ. Just walk through the door. That's it. Walk through the door. Meaning trust him enough to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 6, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Mm-hmm.